Hey guys, Jack here. Thank you so much for tuning in. A lot of really awesome synergy happening right now between Just Hands and Software Y. Uh, I'm here at the Software Y offices actually, recording some new episodes of the new series I'm working on for the subscription site, uh, Back to Basics. And the newest episode actually featured a hand that was initially posted in the Just Hands membership group. And that led to an interesting discussion uh, that I continued publicly, although I didn't, of course, <laughs> announce our member's name on the SoftwareY uh, subscription site, SoftwareY TV. So as a reminder, um, we are actually brought to you guys by SoftwareY, and if you decide to buy any of their products, including a seat to the Academy, merchandise, or a subscription to SoftwareY TV, remember to use discount code JUSTHANDS2019, and you'll get 5% off whatever you purchase, and I'll get a little kickback for sending you there, which would be much appreciated, would help keep the podcast going. Um, so appreciate that. And yes, we have another awesome listener uh, on the show today, Rocco Rizzo from out in New Jersey. Uh, thanks, Rocco, for coming on the show. If you guys want to come on, feel free to send me a hand. Uh, my email is jack at justhandspoker.com. Uh, and we'll get some more of you guys on the show very soon. Uh, we have a non-listener guest coming on next week, uh, Christian Holden, talking about some hands he played on Friday Night Poker. And so that'll be a very exciting episode. Um, we just recorded that, and it came out really awesome. So again, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Hello, and welcome back to the Just Hands podcast. Uh, we're joined here today by another fantastic listener. Today we have Rocco Rizzo on the podcast. Rocco, how you doing? Not too bad, man. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. So you sent me an interesting hand against uh, the one and only Chris Moneymaker from back at the series. Do you want to set it up for us? Yeah, sure. I was out in the series, uh, like the first, I guess the week of the main event, just playing cash games. I wasn't going to, I didn't have enough cash to play in the main, unfortunately. And I'm usually a, like a one, two, one, three player just for baseball purposes. I think I could probably, probably play higher stakes, but just for the fact that it was the main, just for the fact it was a world series, uh, I had a little extra cash on me for my full time job. So I just took a shot at two five and I bought it for a thousand. And so I guess this is my second night playing cash games. Uh, the first night I just pretty much ran it, ran it pretty good. So I was just feeling, feeling pretty good. I just get to sit down at the table. I played with a guy from the night prior to that. And I had just been like cooler in that guy. So I just, I think he just thinks that I'm lucky. That's pretty much the only dynamic I can remember from, from that previous night. Otherwise the dynamic of the table is like pretty much everything you want in a cash game. You know, people are joking and drinks are good. People are laughing and we're all having a fun time. Straddle on the button, straddle, you know, under the gun. You know, everyone's pretty deep. I can't really remember anyone that was that had less than 100 big blinds at least. I think the lowest, you know, the smallest stack might have been 150 big blinds. So the game's going on for like two hours. I'm running pretty good. I'm up at like 2,400, I think. So I started with 1,000 and I, I don't really remember showing anything at... Anything I showed down that uh, was a bluff. I only showed down value at the show at, at uh, a showdown, and I only got there twice. But I had twenty four hundred big blinds, and the seat opens up to my right, and within like a minute and a half, Chris Moneymaker sits down, and I was uh, shitting my pants a little bit to be honest. And uh, everyone at the table is like, "Whoa, this is crazy! What is Chris Moneymaker doing at two five? Uh, the fact that he sat down so quickly." Makes me think that he had seen how good the game was and how, like, you know, just how loose and how, what kind of a good vibe we were giving off. 
so yeah, that's pretty much the setup, like what I got. Mm-hmm. So you said he's coming over from five ten. Yeah, he was setting. He was he was over at five ten. I had seen him the night prior on social media on like one of the one of the vloggers. I don't, I'm not sure if it was Andrew Nimi's or Johnny Vibes' Instagram, but I just saw him playing five ten. So it just makes me think that he saw how good the game was and moved from five ten over to two five, and didn't think that he was going to miss out on value. Okay. Cool. So you guys are playing. This hand is two five or two five ten. This hand is two five ten with the button straddler. Twenty four hundred effective nine handed button straddles. One limp in middle position. Chris Moneymaker and the hijack raises to the fifty. And we have King of Diamonds, Jack of Clubs, and we make it one twenty in the cutoff. And it folds around to Chris Moneymaker. Uh, he makes a call, so we're heads up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can definitely get behind. Three betting in this spot. So you said Chris Moneymaker is playing a lot of hands? I guess there's no technical way to calculate a V-pip, but I was just kind of like, just because he was on my direct right, or any player on my direct right, I try to just pay a little more attention and count how many times they're, you know, they put money in the pot voluntarily for every nine hands and just kind of make that of their approximate V-pip. So I would say he was about 35 to almost 40. But the fact that like, I think just the fact of his notoriety, you know, the fact he's the main event champion, he was getting a lot of folds. He didn't really play too many hands to showdown. Mm-hmm. And, and this was about like maybe an hour and a half into him sitting down. So this, this whole hour and a half, we hadn't, we hadn't played a hand. I was pretty, I think I was card dead or something, but there was nothing that had happened between he and I directly. Yeah. I think it's a fine spot to three bet. Um, I think you can flat. When you do three bet, I would make it bigger. You guys are pretty deep. Right. You're, you said you're 2,400 effective. And so when you raise to 120, you get zero folds, which is, you know, it's not terrible when we're in position, but it's um, it's not great since we have king-jack offsuit. So I think we want to give ourselves a chance of getting a fold. And so I think something between like 175, 200 okay. might work better. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, I think I even hear, I'm looking at what I what I messaged you and it said exactly pretty much that like we definitely need to make it bigger. So yeah, I, I actually didn't think that it should be even that big, but I guess you're right that since we're so deep, if you were one K effective, then I think like one twenty five to one fifty would be nice. But yeah, this deep, I think pumping it up and that also will help shut out people behind. Like I think, you know, if cut off or sorry, if button has like any kind of reasonably playable hand, you know, I think he's going to have a significant calling range and we'd like to ensure that we have ultimate position as often as possible. And I think we can do that a lot better with the larger sizing. But yeah, so let's go to the flop. So we're about 270 for the flop, you know, pot size. Yeah, so just, uh, by the way, just just Chris called. Just I, don't, I think we forgot to say right. that. Correct, yeah. So we're heads up with Chris Moneymaker to a flop of uh, King of Clubs, Jack of Diamonds, Four of Diamonds. King, Jack, Four, Two Diamonds. We have the King of Diamonds as a reminder. Correct. Okay. So good flop. Uh, yeah. So good flop for us. So he checks. We bet out 110. And we get check raise to 260. And we call. Okay. So let's discuss the, you getting check raise small on this board. What do you think Chris is trying to accomplish with this small raise? I mean, either, you know, his hands like, I mean, we block kings and jacks, but so hands like fours, so his sets, he would obviously want value from. And just to, uh, 
know, his his draws as well. He just kind of wants to fold out his draws, I think. But I just, I think that maybe I'm overthinking it. But you know, when a guy like that doesn't, he sits down at a two five. He's not really expecting too many thinking players. And while I wouldn't say I was good in any way, but you know, obviously, I guess I'm, you know, just the fact I'm a listener, I can say I think a little bit more about it. I think he just thinks that just the check raise on this board will get most most folds, no matter what he's got. And just for the fact that people have him folding to him, he's basically using. I feel like he's using his the fact that he's Chris Moneymaker to just move people around and just whatever he says goes. Yeah. And if he made, but again, then again, you know that. I guess you can make that same case with his value as well. Like he doesn't want people to fold out. He doesn't want to when he the times that he has fours and. You know the one pair, the one combo of kings and the one combo of jacks. He doesn't want to fold those out either. He doesn't want to fold out every time. The times I have a king x or even jack x, I might continue with like a like a queen jack, no backdoor combos, whatever. What's odd about this raise to me is that this is a board where you have a pretty clear advantage. You have aces and ace king where he might have those hands, but he has them less often than you do. You have kings when he really has kings. You have jacks when he may have he may have jacks, but he obviously has fours. But that's not. I mean, it's significant. But what's strange about this raise is that it seems unlikely that you would do much folding to this raise. Like even if you had mm. sort of, I guess if you had a hand like ace five of clubs or something, you might fold that. But if you have ace queen, ace ten, any pair like even queens, I think all those hands are calling this raise. And so it's an odd raise to me because regardless of whether he's bluffing or he has value, I would just think he would be served by a larger sizing. Like if he has a set, why raise so small? Like when you have a set, this board can get ugly quickly for your opponent holding a hand like aces or ace king. And when right. the turn comes the five of diamonds then it's harder for us to get value with fours against ace-king. So I would think that those hands would be served to raise larger. And so I think he... I would say he's fairly unlikely to have a hand like a set. It just It's just mm. not a sizing that really makes very much sense with a hand like a set. And if he doesn't have a set, then we probably have the best hand. Right. So I would strongly consider a raise in this spot. Part and of, get called by what? What do you think? Well, I think that clearly Chris has a lot of draws. Those are hands that I think similarly are they're a little bit odd to play this way, but maybe he thinks he can get you to fold some low-hanging fruit and that there'll be enough cards where he can barrel that it'll be worthwhile. Maybe he thinks that, you know, maybe he, if he has a hand like Queen 10, let's say, and he chooses the sizing, and he, okay. he knows that if diamonds come, there's a good chance he can get you to fold hands like Aces, Ace-King, or Ace-Queen, for, for that matter. Right. Um, but he's but he's unlikely to get you to fold now. And so he's choosing a small size to sort of take initiative and then hoping to take advantage of turns where the board gets a little scarier for you. You know, I think that's a little bit of flawed logic from like a balance perspective, but against someone just playing, you know, two five ten at the World Series, maybe he feels like he can kind of get one past you and just raise sort of like I mean, I honestly just don't think this raise makes much sense with anything but draws. Like, uh, okay, he doesn't have very much incentive to raise a hand like king queen, oh, any right. sort of worse value. And I think that I just feel like fours and jacks would want to raise larger because you know I think the reason that the draws want to raise small is because you're unlikely to fold now. 
And the reason mm-hmm. that, and for that same logic, the sets would want to raise larger. So basically, I think we have the best hand. I think we should put in a raise because if he calls with a draw, that's fine. And if he folds a draw, that's fine too. Okay. And if the diamond comes on the turn and he leads into us, I think we can still just call. We have the king of diamonds. We have four outs to a full house. And so mm-hmm. I'm happy to play for it in this spot. So, so yeah, I would put in a raise. Stacks are 2,400. Right. Chris Moneymaker raises to 260, so... So we have a pot of, like, about 500 now. Yeah. Maybe the, a little bit more. Yeah, like 500, 540. So I think we want to put in a raise that sets up an all-in on the turn. Okay. Now, obviously, not all turns won't go... We won't shove. We'll probably check back. What, what um, turns would we not do that? I think an ace, a nine, or a diamond... Okay. Are all cards we wouldn't shove. I think on those cards, we we could. I think a diamond we wouldn't want to shove, especially when we have the king of diamonds and we get check two. If we just want to try and realize our equity somehow and potentially just bluff catch rivers, blocking diamonds. But yeah, a lot of the deck is going to allow us to shove without much consequence. So I think we want to prepare for that. So raising to something like 800... Okay. We'll set up a pot on the turn if we get called of around like eighteen seventy, and right. we'll have like fifteen hundred in the stacks. Right. So then we could just on. I mean, so when that was the case, any other any cards other than Ace Nine or Diamonds, we would just shove. Yeah, and I, I think that an Ace and a Nine are cards we can consider consider shoving on. Part of why I feel comfortable shoving those cards after raising to 800 is because I think Chris Moneymaker kind of has to fold a lot of his Queen 10 to this raise. Especially like Queen 10, no diamond. Those are, those are hands where they really only have six clean outs. And I think out of position facing that size of a raise, it's a, it's a pretty tough call. So maybe on an ace or nine, we can go ahead and pile as well. And then on that diamond, we might just get led into anyway. And I think we can just probably call. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I didn't think, to be honest, I didn't think, I think my write-up, I wrote that maybe we should be raising, or like I thought of a raise, but I justified it the wrong way. I'm not exactly sure that what I said in it, but uh, yeah, I guess it makes more sense. And, you know, I guess the raise would be actually better than what I originally thought. I mean, I think that there's, I think there's definitely a case for delaying to the turn if he chose a sizing that was a little bit less transparent. Like if we, if we felt that this, I think with King Jack, it's, it's always a fine idea to raise. If we had a hand like aces, given this sizing, I would still be like pretty fine if you, with you putting in a raise here when with, with or without a diamond. Um, so if we have the ace or, of diamonds in our hand when we have aces, I mean, it's definitely, it makes a difference. It's more appealing to call when we have the ace of diamonds. So I guess it's exactly like aces or ace team with the ace of diamonds. I think just calling is always pretty much fine since it's really hard for there to be a particularly bad turn card for us. I guess a non-diamond nine would be the only one, especially when we're this deep. Uh, But let's say you had black aces. Then Mm -hmm. I think getting this raise of 260, putting in a three bet with black aces is a good play. Where if he had raised something like 400, we have black aces... Then I think we're pretty handcuffed since he just has a lot mm-hmm. more top end value. Like he has more King Jack, he has more Jacks, 
he has more fours. I think for this raise, this sizing allows us to just three bet. And the reason that he can use this sizing with draws is because he doesn't get three bet very much by hands like that. Not that I think his sizing accomplishes that much anyway, but I think it would be especially punished uh, for its transparency if people were more comfortable three betting hands like black aces or king jack on this board. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that makes uh, a little more sense. So we so we call and the so going to the turn the pot's about eight hundred, mm-hmm. and the turn is a two of hearts. So pretty much as almost as blank as it can be, I think. Yeah, it's uh, pretty damn blank. <laughs> yeah, and he checks. So mm-hmm. after raising on the flop, he checks, and I think now, you know, just in my mind, like if he did have, and the off, you know, like we talked about the sets before, but you know, I guess at that point, I still thought in the moment he could, you know, fours whatever. Like he obviously would be continuing with that. So obviously, so I'm pretty sure I had the best hand, like almost 100 percent of the time, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, so we bet four hundreds. We, we bet about half pot. Yeah, and he and he calls. So I'm glad you bet. And it's interesting to me thinking about this raise from Chris's perspective, because let's imagine that you had Ace King and called the flop. I think there's a chance you consider not betting the turn. And right. if if that's how most of the field is playing against this raise, then what's really nice about this raise is that when we get there we have a larger pot and initiative. And when we don't get there on the turn, we often see the river because our opponent just checks behind and lets us get there. And so you're, you're risking fairly little compared to when you just proceed through a call out of position and get this two of hearts. And then like you have ace king and you feel emboldened to put in a big bet because you're realizing that Chris's range is capped. So I think in that sense, Chris's play might be very good against the field. Obviously, we have King Jack, and so we don't, we're not faced with that decision of what do we do with a hand like Ace King. And King Jack is just a fairly clear bet. I would consider sizing up. I think this might be a function of not being used to like playing so deep, especially yeah, I, I thought the same thing when I wrote it up again, when I thought about it in the aftermath. I think some of the things that I was doing, you know, like kind of smaller, smaller pre-flop, smaller on the flop as well, just for you're right exactly of a function of just not playing so deep because this is pretty much i think i mentioned in the write-up that this is the biggest pot I ever played for like this is the most money i ever had in my stack at two five period right. so yeah so it's a it's a totally understandable mistake and i don't i don't think you're off that much anyway i wouldn't overbet or anything i think like i think 600 is more of a sizing where if chris decides just to call you with like a naked flush draw he's making a mistake but at 400 he's not making a mistake well, it depends on what he thinks you're going to do on the river, but I think it's a lot more plausibly correct to call with something like 70 to diamonds for 400 okay. than for 600. So we bet 400, he calls, and... we So he calls, and we get a pot about 1,600 now, and the river is a nine of clubs, and he jams for 600, 1,600. It's a little gross, to be sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think... I think the key here is we have to sort of count combos and try and figure out how many missed flush draws are available relative to Queen 10, and then try and figure out how many of his Queen 10 are likely to get to this point, and how many of his flush draws would he have to bluff, and try and figure out if that's a, you know, a good ratio for us. Right. So 
Uh, so you, what? I guess we need one to one, right? Is that because this, you know, sixteen, you know? So we're getting laid two to one. So right, two to one. Sorry. So we need him to be a third bluff heavy, mm-hmm. or a third bluffs. So he has a, right. Part of what makes this spot tricky is if we think that he would show up here with sixteen combos of queen ten, because that's quite a bit. And right. If yes. He has sixteen combos of queen ten, then we would need him to bluff with at least eight combos of flushes. So you did some some nice uh, math on diamond draws. Right, yeah. Um, so just for the sake, in the moment, uh, when I was doing exactly that, counting combos, and just trying to get the ratio, and, you know, see what the ratio was, in the moment I just gave him 16 combos of queen 10, just for the, for the sake of it, to make it easy. And then we went, like, ace, you know, all the enough flush draws, and then queen 10 of diamonds, exactly. Queen 9 of diamonds, 10 9 of diamonds, 10 8, 10 9, or 10 8, 9 8, 9 7, 8, 8 7, 8, 8, and 7 6. So that's about 17 combos of diamond draws. So that's just, so we get one to one there, a little bit over one to one, but that's just including if he only has, if he has all the combos of queen 10. And, and, you know, when I get to that point, I'm just like, you know, if he get if he just called, you know, if, if he calls a turn bet with just the naked, you know, no diamonds, just the queen ten combo, you know, good game. If he if he check raises that and then he calls the turn on a blank turn where he has no diamonds or he has no chance of hitting a diamond draw, and even if that, even if he does hit a diamond draw, like say the turn was you know the two of diamonds instead of the two of hearts, mm-hmm. right? Is that what we said? Like, you know, we still have the diamond draw anyway, so we would have him covered regardless. But, you know, I guess it's neither here or there, but... Yeah, I agree that... So I think it's somewhat unlikely that he would call out of position with Queen-10 with zero diamonds in his hand. I think that if he had one diamond, he would be considering sort of the inverse situation on the river. Like, when it comes the three of diamonds, let's say, and he has Queen-10 with the Queen of Diamonds... I think that's a, a card where he would consider bluffing, and I think it would be a good time to bluff. Mm-hmm. So, I think that he's very likely to have Queen Ten of Diamonds, and then the three combos with the Queen of Diamonds, the three combos with the Ten of Diamonds. So that's seven, seven straights. I think he's very likely to have, and we have sixteen flush combos. So the seventeen minus the Queen Ten that he could potentially be bluffing here. So even if he's bluffing. A third of those, only a third of those, then we're, we still have the right ratio. Uh, and so I think it's possible that it's not impossible that he would just, you know, call you out of position with, you know, no diamond, like queen 10 of clubs, let's say. But I think that that correlates with stabbing more with your flush draws. And so I think that just his total range and his, you know, sort of aggression factor makes it likely enough that he's bluffing you with the flush here that we should call. Right. So that's what we do. We, we just, we think about for a minute, about a minute and we're hitting life and we, you know, put one black chip in there and he flips over eight, six of diamonds. Mm-hmm. And so that's not even, that's not a combo. I think you even counted. So I didn't No, I just, I counted seven, six of diamonds just cause you know, for the fact that it's, you know, yeah. it's connected, but you know, but I guess it is right in the, you know, not exactly it, but. But it means that 7-5, five, 6-5, five, 
were all hands that were probably possible. So his available flushes, like maybe it wouldn't be right. surprising even if he had hands like queen eight, ten seven. Yeah, six. exactly. So, yeah, I think uh, you it's ahead. a tough call and a very good call. So thank you. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of like it was just a super crazy moment because it's like the, mo- the most money I've ever seen in a pot that I've ever played for. Yeah, I just did a super long sigh when he flips over 8-6, and he's like, he kind of jokes and was like, oh, I made you swift for it, didn't I? He kind of like slaps, him on the, slaps me on the back. And uh, I don't know. He just kind of said good game, picked up and left. And, uh, you know, that was that. It's almost a 5K pot. It's a nice scoop. Yeah, it was uh, a pretty wild moment. So, yeah, that was that. Man. Well, I hope the next 5K pot you play goes your way as well. <laughs> um, yeah, me too. It's always nice when the, the biggest pot you've ever played is one that you've won. Yeah, um, for sure. I'm lucky enough to claim the same thing for now. But For sure. That's we'll see good. how it goes. <laughs> so, Rocco, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate this fun hand. Well played. And yeah, keep up the, the good thinking, the good work, and let us know if you have any more hands. Good stuff. Thank you, guys.